You may be seated. Good morning. It's awesome to see everybody today. How y'all doing? Let, let me hear you one time. We ended with hallelujah. Let me hear you one time. Just rip it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Woo. Here I am. We're going to talk about being prepared for the battle. And I wasn't even prepared with the microphone. You see, see why we got to get prepared? Oh, man. It's great to see all of you. Couple announcements before we begin. Boy, I'm just, I, I just hope this all comes together through the Holy Spirit today. Wednesday night at 7, Thursday night at 7. We got some good stuff going on. We got Bible study. We're going to be in Genesis 25 this time because we finished 24. We did 50 some verses, didn't we, y'all? And so we tracked through it. We're going to be on 25 next time. And then we got Thursday night, the ladies' Bible uh, journaling. And then tonight, or today, after services, it might be night by the time I get done. Maybe that was the spirit moving, saying we ain't going to quit early today. But after this, we're going to go have the pantry in the back. The Lord's blessed us with some good stuff. And if you, don't, if you don't need it, take it to somebody that does. It's a good way to share, to present Christ to somebody else, and just say, hey, I was thinking about you today. We had this, and the Lord loves you, and he wants you to have this. And it's just a good way to break the ice. And so uh, go back and get some stuff. We, we've been blessed. The Lord has blessed us with it. And so freely we get, we freely give. And so that's the way we do it. I thought I saw a hand. Yes. Okay. Sure, so Tuesday at 7 also, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we got your week lined up for you. How about that? We got to throw some Monday Fridays in there too. Oh, man. Any of the kids, if, uh, if you're here and you need to go to class, we, they're getting ready to go up. Uh, Miss Sue's got to class today. She's standing right here, and uh, we will go on up to the uh, Bible class. Other than that, y'all ready? Well, it was a great praise session. Great praise, great time, a great day in the Lord. So as we get ready to open up his holy and divine word, which is our manna from heaven, it's, it's what he left here to sustain us in this life. Let's say a prayer to prepare ourselves for the reception of the word. Father in heaven, we, we're getting ready to open up your holy and divine word which lives and abides forever. It was God-breathed. It was given to us to give life just as your breath went into man's nostrils and man became a living soul. 
man's soul is nourished and, and maintained through this other breath of God, his word, the manna from heaven. So, Father, today, as we get ready to open this, may you open each of our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. May it only be taught in truth, Father. Never allow a strange word to come from my lips or this pulpit. May this, may this place be your house, your sanctuary, an open abode for everyone, Father. And may we take what we have here and what we are learning and may we be edified. May we go out in a new courage to be strong and very courageous as you told Joshua. And then may we share this manna, this life with those that we come in contact with. And most of all, may our lives and may this worship service today glorify and exalt you for that is why we are here, Father, to worship you and to praise you. And we all together say amen in Jesus' name. All right. Joshua chapter 3, if you want to open up there. Man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you even before I begin that I got so much information and so many things that's running through my mind on these next two chapters. I mean, I, I should have been able to put them, put, do two chapters today, chapter 3 and 4. It should have been all together as one kind of thing. But man, you know how it is when you sit down and you ask the Spirit just to lead your hands and your mind and your heart. It came out, we're going to get 11 verses today <laughs> instead of about 30-some. But I hope it's an edification, it's a process, and it's going to be something that you're going to be so surprised at everything that's in here in these next two chapters as we get ready for Jericho and that battle. And uh, today, in Joshua chapter 3, we finished Rahab last week on a two-week lesson. And so the men, when they came back from her, they came back and they told Joshua in the end of chapter 2, they said, we are ready to take the land. God has indeed delivered it to us, and she told us that it has. And so they all got pumped up. They all got ready. They're all camped out in the lodging. And so then that's where we're going to pick up here in a minute in Joshua 3. But before we do, I want you to, the thing that I want to theme to run through the next two weeks is the crossings. Because we're getting ready to cross the Jordan but they've already had one crossing, didn't they? The Red Sea. You remember that back in Egypt? Do you know they're intertwined? And you know why? Because they both represent the same thing. They both represent a barrier. They both represent an insurmountable, an impassable barrier that lay to where you needed to go to be with God, where God wanted you to be. But there was this barrier that stood in the way, and it was big bodies of water. In one case, it's the Red Sea. And it wasn't on the little bitty end like the, the people who don't know God and the power of his word try to make it out so that they take it away that it's not a miracle. It was a miracle, and it was through the middle of that Red Sea, and it was through the depths of it, through the heart of the river. But there was that barrier, and... You remember who led them, who protected them, and who led them? Who was it? No, this is, this is the first one, the Red Sea. Okay, it was Moses, but who was leading them, really, and who was protecting them and doing the work? The Lord, wasn't he? And he, how was he doing it? You remember? The pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke. 
And you remember that he was leading them going one way and put them where they were at. And then where was the enemy coming from? The, the other side, right behind them. So what happened to that pillar that represented the Lord's presence with them? You remember what happened? The pillar picked itself up and moved to the rear. Why? Protect them because that's where the enemy was. Anywhere your enemy is in Christ, he's already there before you. He's protecting you. He's got your backside and your front side. He's leading you where you need to go. But if he needs to return to the backside to protect you from an enemy, he will. So in that situation, the enemy was behind them. And so they had the insurmountable barrier in front of them and the enemy behind them. And the Lord prepared the way by blocking the enemy. And then through his nostrils, it says all night that the waves parted and the dry ground became and the entire nation went over on dry ground. And we know what happened then afterwards. But I want you to know that the big body of water represents a barrier between you and where you need to be with God. And that the only way through that barrier is God's grace through Christ Jesus. And that, that pillar. And then we're going to see today the Ark of the Covenant. Which represents the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And so the only way through that. And the barrier, the, the water represents death. Water was something that was always made them fearful. It represented death. I forgot about Psalm 114, which ties both of these crossings together. When Israel went out of Egypt and the house of Jacob from the people with a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion or his rule. And I want you to know that the sea saw it and it fled in both directions. But the Jordan turned back. You see, there was a different miracle in each case. Because the Red Sea, it parted in the middle. And there was a wall of water on each side. But we're going to find out probably next week. That whenever those priests bear the Ark of the Covenant. And they step into water. When the sole of their foot hits the water. The water on the one side continued flowing on down. And left dry ground. But the water on the right side backed up. And became a wall of water. And you'll find out that it went all the way to a city called Adam which was 30 miles away. So that water, it's the time of the flood. It's the springtime. This is a very wide, very deep, very treacherous place to cross. But when the sole of the foot touched the water, it stood up and began backing up like a dam backs up a river. And this side went dry. And the people crossed on dry ground. But the water always represented fear and death. That's what this water represents. You know what this water represents? Death to self. Whenever you are baptized into Christ, it says we imitate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that's where the power is, and that's what happens. When you go in, you say, I am dying to self. I am buried with Christ in baptism, and I am a rose, a new creature in Christ. And that's what it represents so now go ahead and I think I'm ready for this next scripture. One of the things I wanted to tell you too as we're turning there is like in Psalm 114 whenever it says the house of Jacob and the house of Israel. The Bible a lot of times you know Jacob's name was changed to Israel and I want you to know what that symbolic 
uh, representation is. Jacob was his name before Christ. Before he wrestled with him and had his thigh put out of place. But Israel means prince of God. Jacob means supplanter, the trickster, the one who deceives. But after he wrestled all night, he got a new name. He got a new name that was Israel, which means prince of God. And so whenever God, the Holy Spirit, writes and he uses Israel and calls him Israel, he's saying, I'm talking about the man that's redeemed. Whenever he says the house of Jacob, he's talking about me before I found Christ. And you're beginning to act like you was before then, so you better straighten up. So that's what it means whenever he talks about those two things. So I've, my life's been split just like that river's going to be split. So now, we was talking about how it represented death. And that represents our death and burial as well, following the Lord. Look at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35 up on the board. It says, the waves were rolling. The storm was there and they're out on the water. And the Lord's what? He's calm and he's asleep down there in the, in the hinder part of the boat. And what do they do? They come down and they ask him what? Lord, you care not what? That we're perishing. Don't you care that we're perishing? I want you to know that he does. It says the Lord does not want anyone to perish, but all come to repentance. So the Lord does care. But that water represented fear and death to them. It always has. And so... So this water here, this crossing is going to represent something to them and us. Why are they making a second crossing? Because it's a new generation, isn't it? You remember the first generation that came out and crossed over the Red Sea with Moses? That generation died off in the wilderness, didn't they? The only two that was left was Joshua and Caleb. So now we're getting ready for a new crossing over and we'll probably be next week that we'll find out that, that they're going to have to be recircumcised. But this, this is also going to represent their baptism of faith in the crossing over from death unto life. And so that's what it's representing. And both of them are tied together like Psalm 114 said. But now look at this because that first crossing of the Red Sea when they went over, how do I know that's what it represented? Because... The Old Testament is always revealed in the New Testament. You remember I always tell you, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old revealed. Now look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or uh, chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware of something. How that our fathers were all under the cloud when they passed through the sea. Now that's that first one, the Red Sea. They were all what? Unto, into Moses. Huh? I didn't read that back in Exodus, did you? But do you see how that it was for a purpose and for our learning? This is all written for us to understand in a spiritual sense. God said that what they did in their actual physical lives and why I wrote it down for you was for your learning in a spiritual sense in today's life to help you out. And it says that by faith, when they came out and they crossed through that Red Sea, that Moses was just like the, the preacher that baptizes the person into Christ. It says they were all by Moses and baptized through the cloud, through the Lord, in the sea. 
They all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink. And how did I know that that was the Lord that was in that cloud and in that fire and in that rock that followed them and gave them water? Because it says they all drank in verse 4 from the same spiritual rock. They drank of the rock that followed them and that rock was who? Christ. So that all has a representation for us then and what it was. And that passing represented their faith, baptism. It represented dying from the land of bondage and going in now to the land of wilderness and into the wandering and to the new life that they had formed there. Likewise, the Jordan is going to be the same place for a new generation. And that's how they're going to do it. And then we read today how we do it as well, don't we? We do it right there. Every generation had to do the same thing. It just wasn't spelled out as, as easily as it was for us. But this is the representation of what they were doing. The new generation had to walk with faith, we're going to find out, with the living God, the God who is over all the heaven and the earth. And each generation has to do it because that is the barrier that keeps you from going on to the other side. And that's what ours represents. And it represents also when you cross over what that is representing when you're in the land. That is your position now in Christ. You are in Christ and he is in us. And now in that land, we have what's called positional truth. He is with us. We are in him. And so now as we go into the land to battle with the different things, it is in Christ that we are battling. It is no longer I that is doing it, but Christ who lives in me. And so, and as an added bonus to learning all of this, what we're doing, we're also going to start to get a glimpse of some end time things in this chapter that I want to share with you. Because I told you in the beginning that Ephesians and Revelations are all tied really close to the book of Joshua and what's going on here. And so... With all of that being said, whew, are you there in Joshua 3 yet? All right. I'm, I'm going to break out the sword, and I want to read straight from the sword. Let's go to the first 11 verses then of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua rose up early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove, or Shatim, if you've got it in the King James, and they came to the Jordan. This is the new King James, and he and he and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. And so it was that after three days, after three days, the officer went through the camp and they all commanded all of the people. And they said, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet... You shall maintain a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near to the Ark. Maintain that space. You must not go near it for you. Oh, I love this one. For you have not passed this way before. I'm taking you into a new way. You've not done this before. So Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves because what? Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Whew, I like that. And then Joshua spoke to the priest. He said, take up the ark now of the covenant of God and cross over before the people. 
And so they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day will I begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And you shall command the priests to bear the ark, saying, When you have come to the edge of the waters of Jordan, you will stand in the Jordan. And so Joshua said to the people, to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know. Oh, I love this phrase. You're going to know that the living God is among you. And that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. And I'd better not add the termites this time because I'm going to tell you why. We only want a certain amount here. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. You know, he's not just the God of Israel, is he? He's the God of all the earth. He spoke it into being. We talked about this this morning together with a couple of folks. He's the Lord of all the earth and he's crossing over. Where is he? Before you. He's cro- Anywhere you're getting ready to go, he's before you into the Jordan. He's already going to be there. All right. You ready to find out what all of that means? I'm, I'm going to be excited and shouting today. I'm telling you just because usually through the word of God, as I'm, I'm doing the lesson during the week, I'm in tears half the time because of the things that was being revealed and the newness and the, just the glory that's in the word and it ties together and I'm just like so humbled that I'm in tears half the time. But this week, it was more like we're preparing for battle and this is exciting news and we need to know it and we need to be excited about it as we get ready for this battle. And so today, it's more of like, man, I'm charged up and ready to go. So what does all of this mean? What's the excitement? Well, we're getting ready. What, what the crossing is, we said, was the death, burial, and resurrection. So I want you to remember that as the theme as we get ready to go through this. And the first thing I notice in verse 1 is that Joshua was an early riser. Early in the morning. Every time you read something about the Lord Jesus, it was the same thing. Early in the morning, he went out to do this. He went out to pray. He was an early riser and he got up. Joshua got up early. And, and the, the first thing he did for the people was he moved them. From the lodging place that they had been at, and it says that he moved them over by the edge of the Jordan. Why? You got to prepare for battle. Preparation is the other thing that's running through here. And to prepare, you can't stay back in the lodging. You can't stay. It represents the place of comfort. I'm satisfied. I don't really need to go anywhere. You remember those two and a half tribes that said, we'd just as soon stay on this side of the river. Joshua says, pack up. Because if you leave your couch right here or your favorite chair and the TV on, you're going to stay right here. So pack that stuff up. And let's get moving and let's get over to the banks of the Jordan so we're going to be ready and prepared when the Lord says, put your feet in the water. So that's the first thing he tells the people. Get out of your comfort zone, quit sitting down in the lodging, and let's move and get on with it. So then, in verse 2, it says, after three days. And man, I'm telling you, 
As, as I've been going through Joshua, there's about five times it'll say three days. And after three days, and I'm like, what's the tie-in? What's it mean? And this week it came to me. The tie-in is, is at any time, what is the big standard of the three days? I said that's the theme of our message. Death, burial, resurrection. He was how long in the tomb? Three days. So the, the three days is always representing the power of God over anything, over sin, over Satan, over darkness, over anything. It represents death, burial, and resurrection. It represents victory in Christ. Death, where is thy sting? Praise God for the victory in Christ. So whenever you see three days, it's supposed to remind us that you are born again. And you got somebody dwelling within you. And you got to rely on his power and might and not on your power and might. So get up to the bank of the river and get ready to go. So it was after three days. Three days. It's reminding us of that. It keeps popping up through there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you remember a minute ago when we read that about they were baptized into Moses under the cloud and into the sea? Well, it goes on to say this. In verse 11, it says, Now, all of these things happen to them and for us as an example, the spiritual message that's going through here. So after three days, we're ready. It's the power of God that's going to be at work and what you're going to get ready to see. And the officers start going through all the camp. The word of God is going out to everybody. We've got it written for us. Follow the instructions. We're getting ready to give you instructions for crossing and going into battle to reclaim the land. And they said the first thing for victory, okay? Here's the instructions. When you see the ark, where's your eyes supposed to be glued to? To the ark. Who's the ark represent? God and Jesus Christ, right? So who's our eyes peeled on all the time? Yeah. So first of all, as you get ready to walk, don't look at the waves like Peter did, but look at the ark. Look at, look at who's, who's got you, who's leading you, where your power comes from. So the first thing that they told him was when you see the ark of the covenant, that means they was always watching for it because when it got picked up, they were moving. So keep your eyes on it. The ark of the covenant you know you got a covenant relationship with God. He's made the covenant with us, and he's going to keep it. And then it says that it's a covenant of the Lord. Who's God? Your God. Your God. Our God. That signifies personal relationship. You have a God who wants to have the personal relationship with you. Keep your eyes on him. Remember your relationship with me. As we get ready to go forward. Because it ain't always going to be easy. That's why they call it a battle. And that's why this represents spiritual warfare. Miss Brenda what happens whenever you, you get into Christ. What was the first thing that happened? Hey the devil comes after you for real. Thank Doesn't he? And, and it's a battle. And didn't I warn you that day. And you was like I'm going out and I'm taking on the world. And I said get ready for the battle. Because you're crossing over. And what's on the other side is the battle. And you've got to keep your eyes focused on the ark and who it is. And remember, I have a personal relationship with the living God who is the God of all of the world. He is my God. But yet, verse 4, I keep my eye on him and I'm supposed to get up and follow him. But verse 4 says, yet, 
keep your distance. Actually stay back 2,000 cubits. Now a cubit is like 18 inches, so that's 3,000 feet. It's a little more than a half a mile. It's like 0.57 of a mile. So it's more than a half a mile. It's like up there to the road up there is where you're going to keep a distance away from the Lord. Because he says, you got to follow me in the direction that I take. You keep your eyes on me. You've not passed this way before. If we veer to the right, if we veer to the left, if we go to the back, there's danger and destruction that's going to await us. There's going to be tough times. But if we keep... If we get too close to him, we can lose sight of him. But you know, there's another reason why you keep, you keep back from him. You know why? Because he wants us and he wants the world to know that there's no other way with him but him. He is the one that is out there in front. And if you take a picture, there's no one else in the picture but him. No one else can provide salvation no one else can protect you like he can. No one else is your God. And don't you try to get up and be equal with him or get ahead of him. You put him up there and you stand back here and you keep focused on him. And you let him lead the way. But don't try to claim that I'm earning my way, I'm working my way, or we're doing something and putting him to the side or the rear. No, I'm staying behind and I'm keeping my eyes Focused on him. Isn't that a Hebrews 12, 2 type of thing? To keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're going to keep our eyes fixed on him as we get ready to move out and we're staying back from him. And then, I, I got a scripture to go with that. Give me the next one, Miss Paula. Titus 3, 5 and 7. This is where this scripture reference comes into us today. It's not by any works of our own righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, his grace, his power that was saved us, that it was done. According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing, there it is, of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on out, out on us abundantly through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, there ain't no one else in the picture. It's the Godhead, it's the Lord Jesus Christ and his work that did it. Now... Back to Joshua verse 3, verse 4. Stay focused. Don't get, get ahead. You've not passed this way before. And then verse 5, Joshua says to the people, Sanctify yourselves. Get prepared. Why? Because tomorrow you're going to see the wonders of the Lord that he's going to do among you. So I'm going to ask you a question. You can just smile. Do you want the recipe for success on the Lord doing wonders in your life and in our midst and among you? He's just laid out several steps right here for us. A recipe for success is preparation. Verse 1. Don't stay camped out. Don't stay comfortable. Get up and get moving, right? That's the first step for the recipe of success. Prepare for the battle that's ahead of you. Two, we're relying on who? The Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the three days. That's the power of God that we're relying upon. The three days is in our mind each day. Each day I can wake up and say, I've been through the death, burial, and the resurrection, and the living God, the God of all the heaven and the earth is in me, and he's with me. 
and he's taking me. He's going before me where I need to go. I'm keeping a distance from him. We're commanded to look at that ark. Stay back and watch him as he goes. And now he says to stand there. And in verse 6 he said get more instructions. Once we're ready and once we're going. The learning never ends does it? I mean we keep coming back for more and more. He says I got some more instructions for you. It's time to roll. So Joshua commanded the priest. Take up the ark of the covenant. And cross before the people. Oh. That, that just sounds like when you read that, that they're picking it up and they're crossing the river before them, doesn't it? But that's not what it means, totally. Because when you go to the original language and you look at what the Hebrew said, the word before is not the word for before. It's the word panim. And the word panim means face. So whenever it's the face... That means somebody's before you, like Vicky's now before me, but it means face to face. But it's not the not the term for like doing it before something else. It's the term of face to face. And so, in other words, before they got ready to cross over, and before the priest set a sole of their foot in the waters of the river Jordan, the congregation saw that they picked it up, and they all stood up. And the first thing the priests did is they was down there. He walked this way. Well, it'd actually be this way. Here's, here's Israel getting ready. They stand up because the ark gets up. And before the face, as it was getting ready to cross over, the ark went before the face of all of Israel because Israel got to see who is leading them because that ark represents the Lord. It's made out of acacia wood, which our, our passage starts off with. They were camped in the place of acacia or shatim. And that is the wood that they used to make it. That's the earthly nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it was covered in gold, and that's his divinity. And so that's what it represents. And his word, those tablets, is inside. And the manna, the food that's going to nourish you, is inside. It represents everything of him. And it passed across their face. And then they went into and got ready to go in. But everybody got to see the glory of the Ark of the Covenant. The promises of God to you. He has promised to give you this land. And he's going before you. And he's going to part the waters. He's going to take away the barrier. And he's going to go before you into the land. And you get to see the ark that represents the power and the covenant and the promise of what's getting ready to happen. So it crosses before the face of the people. And then he says, you're going to stand. He says, as the Lord was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And I want you now, you're going to start to be an exalted. And I, didn't I tell you that Joshua is the Old Testament word for the New Testament word Jesus? means God is salvation. So who's getting ready to be exalted, really, in spiritual terms is the Lord. He's getting ready to be exalted before the people. And so you're going to go to the edge of the water, and then when you take that there, you're going to stand in the Jordan. So the Lord's getting ready to do some wonders. He's removing the barrier that separates between them. And in verse 9, it says, He told all the people, Come, 
Come and hear the words of the Lord. That's what we do every week. We can't get enough of it. Come and hear some more words of the Lord. You need some instructions. Verse 10. By this you shall know. And I love it when he says we can know something. You're going to be able to know by hearing my word and by seeing what I'm getting ready to do in this wonder with the water that the living God is among you and he will underline this. He is with you and will without fail deliver you. He will without fail drive out all of those people that's there, all them ites. And behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to keep getting excited through here because this is exciting. You know what's really getting ready to happen? Listen, he says, listen, people, to the word of God so that you can know what's getting ready to happen. That word listen and is the word shama, which means to hear. And I like to... the key words i like to let you know what they are so you really understand because sometimes we hear something just move on don't we or we hear something in the background but it's not where our focus is whenever this word is used this word means that i want you to hear i want you to listen it's got a fourfold meaning i want you to hear i want you to listen i want you to understand but you may know but then i want you to obey so this word, whenever God uses Shama, it means that you, you had better drop anything else that's distracting you. Focus right in on what I'm telling you. And I want you to understand it. You better get it. And then you better do it. It's the same word that God used with Adam when he said, because you listened, Shama, to the woman. You see, you're supposed to do what I told you to do. But you listen to someone else. It carries the form of obedience with the word. And it's who do you serve. And so this says that whenever God gives you his word. And tells you to do this. If you do anything else it is disobedience. Because he heard. He had understood. He knew what he was supposed to do. But he didn't do it. This word means to do it. So Joshua is gathering all the people here. And he's saying listen. That, that has this kind of impact. So that you can know. What does he want us to know? It's what I want you to know when you leave here today. So listen. The living God. The God of all the earth. Is in your midst this day. And he's in you. And he's going to go with you and go before you. He said listen. And he, here's a promise that he makes to you and I. As he made to them. He said he will Without fail, drive out all of your enemies. Amen. I'm, I'm glad I got one. Amen. There's a promise that we can hang on to. The living God is in you. How many verses do I need to give you to tell you that the living God is in you? You ready to start a couple of them? How about Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives where? In me, because the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and loved me and gave himself up for me. And it says he lives in me. How about 2 Corinthians 13, 5? In the middle of it there, it says, Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? So start examining yourself. 
Get prepared. Trust in the DBR, the death, burial, and the resurrection, and the power and the victory that you have. He's in you. Don't you know that he's in you? So examine, stop, and wait a minute. What am I doing? John 14 and verse 23. If anyone loves me and keeps my word, didn't he tell you to listen up? And it means to do and obey. Listen up. If you love me and you keep my word, my Father will also love you. And he will make our home with you. The Father and the Son is making a home in you. Romans 8 9. The Spirit of God dwells in you. So the Spirit, the Lord and the Father have residence and home with us. And watch, I'm getting ready to do some great things. So he's reminding them, basically, have no fear. Take take an examine, and and we're going to see the wonders that the Lord's going to do. But let's follow him. Without fail, I'm going to drive out the enemy. God will do that for us. And here's where I'm getting excited again. Because I want you to know what... Without fail, I will drive out the enemy means. Because it's both the same word. Yaresh, Yaresh. Whenever the same word is doubled, it means like certainty, beyond any doubt. Whenever it says in Isaiah that I will give you perfect peace to those whose mind is stayed on me. Perfect peace is both shalom, shalom. That's perfect peace. This here is perfect driving away and doing the the work that I'm getting ready to do and drive them out. It's doubled up. It doesn't mean I will drive out and deliver you from the enemies. You know what Yaresh means? Here's what's exciting. It means to inherit. But what inheritance means is it's, it's being passed from... Someone who has it now to somebody else. Oh, are you ready? Because what he's telling you is that whenever the living God is among you and he is without fail going to drive them out, here's what he's saying. I created you in my image. You were supposed to be mine, but somebody else took possession of you because of sin. They took possession of this world and this earth. The prince of this world now is him. But you are my possession. And Yaresh, Yaresh means I am getting ready to dispossess that scoundrel of you and this world. And I'm getting ready to reclaim you and retake possession of you unto me. That's what he's saying right here. I am, you get ready. Because the Lord, your God, without fail, is dispossessing Satan of you and the land. You're mine, and I am reclaiming you through the death, burial, and the resurrection and the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this says. That's what this word actually means and what's going on here. And isn't that awesome? That means what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Death, where's your sting? We have the victory. So in other words, he, he said what? In Genesis 3, my son's heel is going to crush your head. I am going to have the victory. You might have possession of them now. But when they cross over, you don't. And the land 
whenever I get ready to reclaim it and take it back, my son's already paid for that too. So I'm just waiting for the proper time. Why is he waiting? Because there's still some souls out there that need to be saved. There's still some souls that are lost that needs to know Christ and to come to him and, and have that faith in that death, burial, and resurrection and to, to do that and then to follow him and to go into the battle. We've got some people that need to do that in this world. And until then, he is patient and long-suffering, not willing that any's going to perish, but that all comes to repentance who will. And then the time comes that he's going to reclaim this land for himself. You want to see the word of God with all of this that I just explained about dispossess and possess and inheritance and what it means? You want to see it as it applies to you and I in our life today? Okay. I told you it was tied in with Ephesians, right? Turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to begin down around verse 18 there. Verse 18 says, I want your eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. In other words, I want you to hear and understand and, and get ready to obey what I'm telling you. I want you to know it. That you may know what is the hope of this calling that you have and what are the riches of the glory of his what? You know whose inheritance it is? Ultimately, it's Christ. It's in his inheritance. But we have the same inheritance because we are in Christ. So I want you to know the glory of the inheritance that is coming because you are in Christ Jesus in the, that is now in being passed on to the saints. What is the exceeding? And the Holy Spirit doesn't put words in there that don't mean something. This is exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power didn't he say he's going to do some wonders and without fail which he worked in christ jesus when where's your power come from when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places he is far above all principality and power and might and dominion you know what those words mean isn't that the same ones that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? This is talking about the devil. This is talking about his angels. It's talking about the powers of the prince of the air and the, the powers of wickedness and spiritual wickedness in high places. He's talking about that battle. This, this is a line of chain of command like you have in the military because it's a battle. And so he says he raised him up. And he is far above all principality and power, all of the might and dominion, and any name that any other group might name, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And that means in eternity, he's still the one who reigns supreme over all of them. And he, God, put all things under he, Jesus' feet, and gave him now to be the head over all things to the church. Who's the church? We are the church. So he's given all of this into his body, the church, the fullness of him. And he made him. Now here comes your inheritance part. Your, the dispossessing of Satan, this principality and power. The dispossessing of the church of us out of that bondage and into Christ. Listen to what he says in chapter 2. And you who now believe, the one in the last verse to those who believe, the church, the body, you, 
He has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, we once were walking underneath the, the power, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that spiritual demon. You used to walk underneath him. You all conducted yourselves just in the lusts of whatever you wanted to do and desires of your heart and, and your mind. And you were by nature the children of wrath. That means you were doomed for destruction. You were those things. But, I love the buts. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were his enemies, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he still loved us. His great love made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. Amen. There is the dispossessing of the spiritual things that was on you and the repossession in Christ by the love and the powerful workings of God through the death, burial, and resurrections of our Savior. I got to catch a breath. Worship team, come on. Come on back up. As... As the praise team comes back up, I want to set you up a little bit for next, next week because I made a promise earlier in there. I made a promise. What, what's some of the things that we can take with us today first? Some of those things is the living God is with us and in us through Christ, isn't he? He has dispossessed me of the evil one and in Christ redeemed me from my enemy and taken possession of me. Christ is in me and so is the Father and so is the Spirit. And he goes before me like that ark anywhere that I am going. So why am I going to be afraid today, right? It still might be a battle, but there's, there's, I've got something to hold on to. Now, setting you up for next week. I promised you something. You remember that verse... 10 again of Joshua there when it had all of those ites the Canaanites the Hittites and all of them somebody count how many of them is there for me how many ites are there seven isn't that a good godly number there's seven of them you know there's nothing in the Bible that was just put there flippantly it all has a special underlying meaning a special purpose there's a reason for them. There, there's seven enemies in the land that we're going to dispossess whenever we cross over this conquest of time. But wait a minute. Haven't they, already, haven't they already conquered a few? Don't you remember when Rahab last week was talking and she says, you've put great fear into us because you defeated Sihon and Og over there on the other side of the Jordan. So on the other side of the Jordan, or on the other side, yeah, of the Jordan, there was two, Sihon and Og. But wait, remember a month ago when we had the lesson of uh, Amalek and the Amalekites, it's always going to keep coming back and trying to be a thorn in our flesh. That Moses, Joshua was doing the battle, but Moses was holding up the rod. And you remember his arms would get heavy and, and Aaron and Hur held his arms up so that they could get the victory. So they had a victory over the Amalekites and over Sihon and Og. That's how many? Three? So three plus seven's what? Anybody starting to see something that this is representing like in Daniel in the book of Revelation? 
whenever God gets ready to reclaim the earth on the beast, how many heads are there? But three have been what? So here we are. You know, this is going to be representing them up that rest of the time. That's, that's representing the conquest of the land and God taking possession of everything that's his in that last time. Three has already been taken down. Look at, look at Daniel chapter 7. There was a beast there that had the ten heads, but three are down and seven yet remain. Revelation has 12, 13, and 17 in those chapters. Each one of them talk about the beast that had ten heads, but three are conquered and seven remain yet. But the lamb is about ready to destroy them and repossess the land. So sanctify yourselves, folks, because the battle is at hand. We're ready for it. Sanctify just means set apart. That means I'm no longer really going to care about what the world says, what the world does. I'm going to keep, like Joshua said, like our song was, the second song I think we had, Me and My House. We're going to, that's Joshua 24, when he says, Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So by the end of this thing, what we are doing is preparing ourselves so that me and my house will serve the Lord. And we got to sanctify. That's what it is, just serving him and keeping our eyes on the ark. And that's basically what sanctifying is. You're separating. You remember that? You're separated by that. You're separating yourself from the world and you're only focusing and following the ark. So I hope you can take all of these things with you and even the hope of what lies ahead in the conquest of the final seven. But I think that the Lord, I'm thankful that he's blessing us. That he loved us and the living God is among us and he lives within us and he is going before me and praying the way. Hallelujah. And we're going to see wonders among us. And Father, your word indeed is alive and powerful. And Father, we just thank you for these, these representations that you place in there that we, by faith, can dig them out and that we can see the examples